What a great day, right? Let's give God thanks for His goodness to us today. I'm so grateful to be able to be here today and celebrate folks becoming a part of this church family and folks uh, demonstrating their faith in Christ through baptism and then singing Christmas songs, which we will do a lot more of on Friday night uh, at the Christmas Eve service, which I'm grateful for. And now we get to open God's Word and see what He has to say to us as we consider what it really means for God to be with us. What, what does it mean that we call Jesus Emmanuel? Calvin Miller, who uh, was actually one of my professors, but he was a prolific author, painter, pastor, professor. And before he passed away in 2012, he made this statement in an interview with Christianity Today. He said, I've always really rather agreed with Madeline Lingle that in the New Testament, there is only one really great miracle. And that is the Incarnation. Once you believe that, as only he could say, everything else is duck soup. So, let me ask you the question. Can you... Can you conceive of a bigger miracle than the creator of the heavens and the earth becoming a part of his creation? Think about that. The creator who spoke things into existence. Became a part of creation. I, I can't. And yet what I understand. And by the way I believe it. It is upon this miracle. That the whole of Christianity is built. It is the foundation of what we believe. Think about it. The, the miracle of the virgin birth is the birthplace of hope in the New Testament. And hope is the essence of our faith. Just as the hope of the world was miraculously conceived in Mary, hope is conceived within the heart of every person who lays down their life, takes up their cross, and chooses to follow the one who descended from heaven and landed in a manger. Without the birth of Christ, there is no hope of order amid chaos, no hope of meaning in the madness, no hope of light in the darkness, no hope of heavenly forgiveness for earthly sins, no hope of salvation, and no hope of eternal life with God in heaven. It is the incarnation, the birth of Christ, that gives us hope. And so what we celebrate at Christmas time is the fact that hope had a birthplace and it was Bethlehem, but before it was born, hope was conceived. And it wasn't just conceived in a teenage version. Hope was actually conceived in the heart and mind of God because God wants each of us to live with victorious hope. 
Now, do you, do you guys know the story of how it happened? If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to be reading from the Christmas story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Now, if you're not familiar with turning around in your Bibles, uh, Luke is the third book in the New Testament, and it's about three-fifths of the way to the back. If, if, but let me tell you, we will also have the scripture on the screen so you can read it along with me. We're reading in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, listen, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now listen, here's the background. The the Jews, the expectant hope of the Jews was that the promised Messiah was going to come any moment. They were yearning for the coming of the Messiah. Those who were spiritually sensitive always had their eyes peeled for the one who was promised by the prophets who would come in the line of David and once and for all set them free from the agony and chaos of oppression. They wanted real-time freedom. Now what they missed along the way is that God was sending the Messiah to do something deep within them and also profound around them. But they were just looking for a Messiah to come. And when the time was exactly right, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, when the time had fully come, the angel Gabriel takes a road trip to Nazareth and appears to Mary. And he announces to her that she, now think about this, a teenage girl, she's going to be the mother of, of the Messiah. How would you respond to that? Look at verse 34. It reveals to us how she responded. Excuse me. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. How will this be? Sir. Help me understand how this can happen. I've never been with a man, and in case you aren't aware of how it works, that makes it impossible. There is no hope of this happening in me. How did the angel respond? Look at verse 35. The angel answered, 
The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now listen, Mary, this is important. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. The angel said to her, Gabriel said to Mary, listen, Mary, there is hope. This is going to be a miracle and it will take place when the power of God overshadows you and you will become pregnant. How can it be? Listen, Mary. Listen, this is how it can be. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is impossible. His word never fails. No matter how bad things look, no matter how impossible the situation, nothing is too difficult with God. So there's hope. There's hope. And that hope, Mary, is about to be conceived within you. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, Emmanuel, God with us, is our hope. He is the light of the world. He is hope made flesh. He is hope made flesh. Hope is the essence of what we celebrate when we celebrate Emmanuel, who is God with us. Now, let's wrestle with this concept of hope today. What exactly is it? And is there a difference between hope with God and hope without God. Is there a difference? I, I think if I gave you an assignment right now to take the sermon note card in front of you and everybody take the pen and write down your very own definition of hope, I think unless you all looked on each other's papers, and surely we wouldn't do that in church, right? But unless you were cheating, my hunch is that no two answers would be the same. Why? Because in our world, in our world, there are really two different kinds of hope. Okay, in some cases, hope has been reduced to little more than wishful thinking. So when we talk about hope, we're talking about wishful thinking. Like, I hope I have enough food for the Christmas party. Or, I, I, I know I didn't make the grade, but I hope my professor lets me exempt Anyway, I hope I can fit into the Christmas sweater I wore last year, or I hope this sermon is short. That is wishful thinking, okay? Not happening. Listen, hope with God is not wishful thinking. Hope with God is not wishful thinking. Nor is it unbounded optimism. That's the other kind of hope that we find in the world we live in. Optimism. We have a tendency to think optimism is hope. As a matter of fact, it is a word that hangs out with hope a lot. Sometimes it is affixed to hope and sometimes it stands in for hope. But hope with God and optimism are two totally different 
things. Now, you can have hope with God and be optimistic, and you should be. But optimism and hope are fundamentally different. See, technically, optimism is a doctrine or belief that good ultimately, and I need to say naturally, okay, work with me here, think about this. Optimism is the doctrine, which means we cling fast to this belief. It is the doctrine or belief that good ultimately, and I might add naturally, prevails over evil. That's optimism. That good naturally, ultimately prevails over evil. And and what optimism does, it it, it leads us to the tendency or the habit of thinking, taking the most cheerful view of things. Sure, I've put on a little weight, but I think I can fit into that Christmas sweater I wore last year. That's optimism. Optimism expects the best outcome in every situation because the optimist believes that the world gets better. It is belief in progressivism. We are progressing. We are making progress. Optimism believes that things just work out. That's what happens. Stuff just works out. Now, let let me say this. Optimism is much to be preferred to pessimism, right? I mean, who wants to sign up to hang out with a perpetual pessimist? But that doesn't make it hope with God. Optimism is not hope with God. Optimism is based on humanistic, progressive ideology. It's the belief that things, society, and people get better on their own without any help. Things just get better. But, listen, Murphy's Law, the second law of thermodynamics, the mirror, the Bible, tells us that optimism, the belief that it always gets better, that is not true. The fact is, without some sort of intervention, things actually get worse. What's clean gets dirty. What's shiny is rusty. Hot things become cool. Cold things become lukewarm. That's the way it works. Without help. Yet... The scripture tells us we have hope. We have hope that things can and ultimately will get better. Where does that hope come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. God with us. Who is our hope. So, here's the definition. What is hope with God? What is biblical hope? It is... There's three parts to this definition. It is desire for good, accompanied by an expectation for good that motivates action. You need all three to have biblical hope. It is desire for good that is accompanied by an expectation for good, not an expectation in progress, but an expectation that's founded in God, 
that is based on what he has said and what he has done. And that kind of hope motivates action. Now let me tease that definition out for just a moment so we can understand what biblical hope is. It begins with desire. We want the madness to stop, right? If we're getting dizzy because the world is spinning into chaos, we want to put our foot down and stop the spin. We want chaos to give way to order. We desire as God followers what God desires. We want peace and freedom from the tyranny of sin and suffering. We want justice and righteousness. Those are our desires. They're hopeful, God-honoring desires. And those desires are accompanied by an expectation. What is that expectation? The other word for it? It's faith. It's faith. We, We have faith that God, the good God of order, is going to do what he said he would do, which is to act, to contravene against the chaos, the natural chaotic order of things. And through his action, by showing up, he's going to bring about peace. He's going to stop the spin. The declension. It is desire for good accompanied by an expectation. We call that faith. And that expectation motivates us to act. The expectation motivates us to act. We, we, we call this action works. Okay, now, let me just say, this, this work doesn't gain God's approval. We don't work our way to heaven. We don't work our way into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That happens because of God's grace. That's why he stepped out of eternity and into time, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised from the dead, so that we could have a life with God. That's grace. Okay, but in response to grace, and because the presence of the expectation that God is going to do something, we understand we have a measure of responsibility to respond with hope and cooperate with God to do something. James told us faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. So if you have that expectation that God is going to do something and you don't respond to it in some way by living for the glory of God, then your expectation is dead. We have to combine works with that expectation for hope to prevail. So what does that mean? It means that we live according to the conviction that God brings light in darkness and works out all things together for good for those who love him and are called by faith according to his purposes. And that call means that we serve. It means that we embrace his purpose for our lives to bring him glory. Now that's hope. It's desire for good 
accompanied by expectations for good that motivates us to act in concert with God that His kingdom would come on earth just as it does in heaven. That happens because we have hope. Now what's really fascinating to me about the story that we read of Mary and the encounter she had with the angel and the fact that baby Hope was literally born through her, when you look at all the elements of that story, what you discover is that Mary was actually in that moment living with biblical hope. Think about it. What's the first? It's desire for good. Mary had the desire for God to set his people free from the tyranny of Roman occupation. Here's, here's what happened. Devout Jews for more than a thousand years had been looking for a Messiah who would come and deliver them from sin and suffering. They knew that they were God's chosen people and they longed to be able to let their light shine so that all the other peoples in, on earth could see that God, the one true God, was the creator who loved them and wanted to have a relationship with them. Now, I think that it is obvious that Mary understood the gravity of being one of God's chosen people. And I think she owned the responsibility that comes with our being chosen. And she took that role very seriously. And that's where that desire came from. Now, why, why do I, I'm, maybe you think I'm reading a whole lot into that story. So why do I believe that about Mary? Do you remember how the angel greeted her first? Right away, he said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Then he said, The Lord is with you. Listen, we are talking about a time in history that's known as the period of silence where there had been no word from God for 400 years. No prophet speaking the word of God. The Jews did not believe God was with them. Yet the angel comes to Mary and says to this teenage girl, Hey, the Lord is with you. Why? Why? I think the answer is found in a passage of scripture in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, and many of you have probably heard this verse. Here's what it says. For the eyes of the Lord, he's always looking, range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. For here, Here's what happens. The Lord of heaven is looking around for people who are fully committed, whose desires are, al are aligned with his desires. And the time had fully come, and so God was ready to be with us, so he was looking around for someone to work with and through. He was ready to step into time and offer the hope of the world. He wanted to, he was looking for someone who would cooperate with him, and he found her. Her name was Mary. 
She was living in the town of Nazareth. Her heart was fully committed to him. That means her desires were aligned with his desires. Mary had the desire for God's will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. He want, she wanted justice and righteousness. That desire, the seed of hope, it's where it starts. But it doesn't stop there. And neither did Mary. See, she also had the expectation of hope fulfilled. Now, there are two fundamental elements of the expectation of hope fulfilled. And this is really important to understand. Two fundamental elements of the expectation of hope fulfilled. The first one is that Hope is based upon the Word of God. Our expectations are based upon God's Word. And second, those expectations are expressed in prayer. Faith comes from the Word of God. Prayer is the natural expression of faith. So, let's talk about that. As a devout Jew who got God's attention because of her desires, I think it is safe to assume that Mary knew the Scriptures. She knew about the promise of the Messiah, that God was sending one who would ensure their hope. No doubt her parents, who were devout Jews, did exactly what God's Word says to do. And that is, as you walk with your children, when you sit and when you rise, when you go down to Starbucks, talk about God's Word. I made that part about Star Starbucks isn't actually in the Scripture. But as you go, talk to your children about God's Word. I think Mary's parents did that. So Mary, no doubt, knew the prophecy of Isaiah who ensured that the Messiah was coming. Do you, do you remember the scripture? Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. How's all that going to happen? The zeal, the desire, the passion of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Mary knew that scripture like every good, committed, God-honoring Jew knew that scripture. And she lived with an unwavering conviction that God would fulfill it. Listen, I believe that's why the angel said to her at the end of his little speech, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary, this is what you've been waiting on. This is what the word says. This is what's going to happen. Her hopes were founded in the truth of God's word. But I think she also knew that the way to express her faith, her hope, 
was to pray that God would bring it to pass. Now, just give me a second here. I want you to think about this. If God says he's going to do it, no word from God ever fails, why do we need to pray about it? Well, there's something mysterious that happens when those of us whose desires are aligned with God's desires open up and begin to talk to him about what he says he's going to do. What happens is that means we move closer to him. We are more aligned with him. And through those prayers, we're raising our hands and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, like I'm available. And as we pray, God begins to strengthen our passion for what he's going to do. And by the way, you know how God works? Through us. That's certainly true of Mary, right? I believe Mary was praying when that angel, when Gabriel showed up. Maybe you're reading into that a little. Maybe I am, but I doubt she was playing video games or scrolling through social media. I think she was praying. And the reason I believe that is because of her response to the angel and his response to her. I think what he said to her was in direct answer to her prayers. And I think the surprising part about this story to me, well, there's a lot, but one surprising thing about this story to me is that she doesn't appear to be too surprised or unnerved by him. And you say, wait a minute, I, I, you read the story and I know it says she was afraid. And he said to her, don't be afraid. And you're right. But did you notice what the scripture says she was afraid of? What was it that disturbed her? Look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his appearing. Wrong. Really? Like, that would have gotten me. But that's not what it says. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It was his greeting that got her, not his appearing. Whatever he said was deeply unsettling to her. And do you remember what it was? Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. None of the Jews felt highly favored. None of them were convinced that God was with them. If he was with them, why were they suffering under the yoke of oppression of the Romans? But the devout ones were praying for God to be with them. They were praying for God to send Emmanuel. And I think in faith, Mary was probably praying for it too. And the angel came and said, Hey Mary, right now, your prayers are being answered. And it's that, that's what shook her up. God be with us. God show up. God set us free. God relieved the suffering. Angel appears. He's coming. Matter of fact, he's with you. Can you imagine praying, asking for something, and, and the angel of the Lord showing up and saying, you got it. But that's what happened to her. As a matter of fact, he, he went on to tell her, not surprisingly to us, 
that she was going to be a part of answering that prayer. Answering, listen, not only her prayers, but the prayers of all of her people, all the Jews. Because she was favored, because she was graced by God. God had chosen her to give birth to the very hope she had placed her faith in. Think about that. She was giving birth to the one she hoped for. And I think that day her prayers, where she was asking God to make good on His promises, those prayers were answered. Gabriel came and said to her, He's going to. Deliverance is coming. The time is right. Emmanuel. God is with you. Now, she had the desire. She had the expectation. What's next? Oh, yes, she had a choice to make. She got to decide if God could work through her. See, God doesn't impose His vision for our lives on us. God invites us to welcome His vision for our lives. The question was, would she demonstrate that she was operating with biblical hope? Would she act in concert with God on her hopes. Remember the last part of hope? What completes the picture? Hope acts. Now Mary's actions here give us tremendous insight into the action of hope. Look at Luke 1.38. This is Mary responding to Gabriel after he said, you know what, the Lord's word will be done. It's not going to fail. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And that was it. The angel left her. You know what she was saying? I'm available. Like I, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. How many consequences of this opportunity were going through her mind? She would be rejected by her community. She had never been with a man, yet everyone would think she was. How would Joseph respond? How would she manage the secret? And what did it matter? Because no one would believe her anyway. The only people who would believe her would be the ones that the angel showed up and, and, and told them. As a matter of fact, that happened to Joseph, thankfully. But Mary said, look, despite the fact that Joseph isn't going to understand and know what's going on, Despite the fact that I'm going to be ostracized by the very community I love and that I am serving. Here's, here's what I'm going to do, Gabriel. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve the one in whom I have placed my hope. So Gabriel said, look, 
Mary said, Gabriel, I'll do whatever you tell me. I'll go where God sends me. But let his word be fulfilled in me. In me. You know what that is? That's a declaration of availability. And that's the action God is searching for those who live by hope. Mary literally made space for Jesus. In her and through her. It was God's will. But listen, it had to be Mary's too. It had to be hers too. She had to submit to God's vision and be willing to act upon it. And what happened? Because she submitted to God's plan, we have God with us through Mary because of her hope hope came her hope in God was contagious hope always is see when you have hope you give hope away now the question is have hope here's what I believe I believe we all have the desire for good we want order over chaos meaning over madness light over darkness all of us no exceptions but do you have faith that it's God who provides it Where does that faith begin? In the manger. That faith is in Jesus Christ. Emmanuel. God with us. Without that faith, the sad truth of the scripture is what the Bible does, there is no hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father, no man realizes their heart's hopes except by me. It is faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. It's not what you do, it's not meditating. It's not hanging out with the right people. It's not your parents' faith. It is your faith in Christ alone. He is... Is He your hope? And when you have faith in Him, then you do exactly what Mary did. You raise your hand and declare yourself available to cooperate with God in his vision for the world he came to save for people he came to seek will you bow your heads and pray with me for a moment
First of all, I, I think we should just, in the quiet that we have here, just thank God for the hope that we have in Christ. Things might not naturally get better, but because of Emmanuel, God with us, things get better in Him. Through Him. And I want to ask you if you're a person who lives with hope. Biblical God-honoring hope. Do you have an expectation? Do you have faith in Jesus who came to lead you to overcome? To give you victory over sin and death? And to give you an abundant life that will bring you peace and bring glory to God. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? He is the way to peace. He is our hope. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, then let me just challenge you to examine have you made yourself available? Or... Are you one of those believers, and there are lots of us, who just believes, who's trusting God for the forgiveness of sin, but just kind of wants to keep, keep a distance? You just tell God, you know what, that, that's, that's as far as I'm willing to go. You have to take the next step to live with biblical hope. You have to be available. Mary was. Her availability changed the world. And yours could too. She found, in spite of the difficulty, she found her life's purpose in God's desire for us to know Jesus Christ. I would challenge you to make yourself available to God. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus so you could be with us. Lord, help us to live with full hope. If there's anyone here today, Father, who has not placed their faith in Jesus, I pray that this day would be the day they see the truth and they receive the truth give them hope and faith change their lives for those of us who are following you Lord I pray that we would be increasingly available for your vision to serve your desires in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm so grateful that we had an opportunity to study God's Word today. I, I love this season. I love to think about how Christ changed their world, but also how Christ is going to change ours.